All right. Well, are you ready? No, you are no. <laughs> you scared me there for a minute. I was like, no, we're let's go home. Let's get out of here. Um, so we have been, as you just saw, we've been in a series called Like and Subscribe uh, and about commitment and habits. And um, if you have not been here the last couple of weeks, um, you, um, you, don't have, you don't need to have been here the last couple of weeks in order for today to make sense. However, um, I would strongly encourage you to go. You can, uh, we stream our services on Facebook and YouTube. You can find us there or you can get the podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. I do encourage you to go back and listen to the first couple of weeks because they really set the table and uh, it will, uh, I, I think, really make what we're going to talk about today and the remaining couple of weeks of the month um, that much more meaningful and helpful. And so um, I, I don't know if you've ever uh, had this experience, but there, there are some things that you can tell about somebody just by looking. Like, like just looking at somebody, you, you can tell some things about their physical, you know, their physical body, like you can tell their size and their shape, maybe even their relative age. But there's a lot of things about people that you cannot tell just by looking at them. So basketball is kind of my first love when it comes to sports and I know it's kind of impossible to tell now, but like a lifetime ago, I played basketball in high school. And, and so one of my favorite things really throughout my life playing pickup basketball um, over the years is that it, maybe more than other sports is that you can't tell just by looking who's good and who's not. Because there are some people that really look the part. They got the size and the gear and the shoes and the swagger and the shorts, you know, kind of sagging. And they got the athleticism but they can't play at all. They are not skilled at all. They can't handle the ball. They can't shoot. Uh, but invariably, there's always this really goofy dude. He's usually almost always white. He's kind of older than everybody else. Nobody would suspect that guy could play, but somehow he just like dominates. He's just a gym rat. He's in the gym all the time. I don't know if that's ever happened to you before though, where you sized someone up Maybe even somebody that you knew, maybe somebody you had a relationship with, somebody that you spent some time with, but then all of a sudden you see them in a different light, you get to see them do something and you're just like totally caught off guard because it totally surprised you. Whether, you know, maybe you had a friend that's a little bit chunky, but then you find out like they run half marathons all the time and you're like, what? Like, what's going on? Or you got that buddy that's got like the dad bod just like you, but then you work out together and he turns out to be like really, really strong. And when that happens, we're kind of blown away. Like, like what, how did that, like, what did I miss? How is this possible? How can you do that? And, and honestly, when you begin to have a conversation with them, it turns out that when you start to talk to them about it, it almost always traces back to some hidden habit, some part of their life that you didn't know about, right? Because it's like, oh yeah, I mean, I, I don't you know, look like it because mainly I like food and tacos, but I always start my day in the gym and do strength training and do some lifting. And so, yeah, I'm like way stronger than most people think. Or, or yeah, I've been running five miles three or four times a, a week for years. And so, yeah, it's no big deal. You know, I, I don't know if you have those friends, like most of us, like we work out so that we can eat more. You know what I'm talking about? Like I'm exercising just so I can eat whatever I want. See, the, but the truth is, is like appearances are deceiving, because in the end, it's our regular disciplines that determine our capacity and what we're capable of. Now, we obviously get this on a physical level. We get this when it comes to sports and the things we do with our bodies. But the same thing is also true when it comes to our faith, when it comes to on a spiritual level. Like, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. Like, have you ever had that friend who always just has something really wise and insightful and helpful 
to say, or, or that person who always seems to be able to remain calm and peaceful, and they just have this sense of God's presence with them, even when life is chaotic and messy, or, or that guy whose attitude and heart and generosity are enormous and infectious, and it just seems like every room he walks in, he just kind of elevates the room. Or, or that, that one lady whose warmth and faith and confidence in God is just completely unshakable no matter what happens. Like, like, have you ever known someone who just always seemed to have this incredible flow, this incredible connection between them and God? I, I know that it's um, a lot more crowded around this valley than it used to be even a couple years ago, but it's still, like if you're from California, it's still kind of cute when people here talk about traffic um, because, you know, most of us that move from somewhere in California, you know what actual traffic is. But ha- have you ever had that experience where you were stuck in traffic, but it just it seemed to just like it was just your lane? Like the ne- lane next to you is moving fine and everybody's fine and you're just like, any second now, my lane's going to move. But your lane never moves. It just stays stuck and you're just, you don't know what's, so what do you do, right? So you switch lanes. But then have you had that moment where as soon as you switch lanes, your new lane stops and doesn't move, and the other lane starts moving, and it goes fine. And you're just like, all right, I'm just going to stay put. But it doesn't move. It doesn't change. So then you switch back, and it happens again. It's like you're cursed. Whatever lane you're in is bound to be the slowest lane that never moves. And I don't know about you, but that is a perfect picture for how my faith has felt at different times. Where, where no matter what I do, I just can't seem to get going. I just can't seem to make that connection. I just can't seem to make the kind of progress that I want to make. I, I look around and other people are just kind of zooming along in their faith and their relationship with God and everything seems to be going fine and their lane looks good. But my lane, no matter what lane I switch to, feels stuck. Now, the truth is there's a lot of times in our lives that that is just our limited perceptions of other people and what seems to be going on, their li- on in their life because the truth is there's times for all of us where we're stuck, where we're just kind of groping around in the dark trying to find our way to God. But still, there's no escaping the reality that our disciplines absolutely determine so much of what we experience in our life and certainly our capacity and certainly what we're capable of doing. So there's this verse in, this, in, the New Test, in a New Testament letter that was written by a guy named Paul, and he was writing to a pastor. He was writing to a pastor of a church that he had started. And he begins to talk a little bit about what we're talking about, and it kind of sets the stage for where we're going to go today. So I wanted to read it to you. It's the first Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. It says this. He says, physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and for the life to come. So he says, physical training is good, but training in godliness, that's the game changer. That's the secret sauce. That's the thing that will make the difference in your life. I, I don't think it's, it's an accident. So the, the context of this is, as I said, you have this older guy, Paul, who's really in the last chapter of his life, who has accomplished so much in his life, has planted churches all over the world, has done all this incredible stuff, but now he's in prison and now he's just writing letters out to those, to those uh, churches and he's writing a letter to Timothy who is a pastor, a young guy who he's installed to pastor one of the churches that he's started. And of course he's gonna write to him like, yeah, I know you work out a lot, Timothy. Like that's good. Like godly, you know, physical training is good, 
But training in godliness is what will actually, it has some value, but spiritual training will change everything about your life right now and also for your life to, to come. He's going, the, the, in your life of faith, in your relationship with God, you're going to be tempted to see certain things as being supplemental, as being extra, as being add-ons, that if you get to them, then that's you know, good. But I'm telling you, there are some things that you need to be doing that are absolutely essential to you stepping into the life that God created you to live. So we're going to actually spend some time this morning talking about our spiritual habits. And in just a few minutes, I'm going to get really practical. We're going to kind of break down some nuts and bolts of some certain things. Before we do that, though, there's a couple other things that I want, to, I want you to notice that kind of set the stage before we even get into this really practical stuff. The first thing that I want you to see is that God isn't interested in your spiritual life. He's just interested in your life. Like we like to divide our lives into sections and segments, especially when it comes to our faith, right? Like this right here is spiritual, but that over there isn't. This day at this time doing this activity over here, this part over here, this part of my life, this part of my day, this part of my week, this part of my finances, this whatever. Like this is, this is the part that I give to God. This is when I do my God thing, but everything else is just kind of my regular life. Everything else, God, you just kind of stay over there and that's your part, but this is my part over here. But God doesn't do that. He doesn't segment you and your life into different parts. That's why when Jesus was asked what it is that God is most interested in for us or, or what, he, what he wants for our lives, what it is that we were created to do at our core, he said in Luke chapter 10, verse 27, that we were created to love God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. I mean, that pretty much covers it all, right? Like there's not a lot about your life and you and what you could do and what will happen in your life that's not covered by your heart, soul, strength, and mine. And that's why here in Timothy, Paul is going, this isn't about one part of your life. This is about all of your life. This is about who you are. This is about everything that's going on. This is about who you're becoming. And it's about this life and the life that is to come. I also think it's really important and instructive that in what he says, he uses the word training. Because everywhere we turn in our culture, we're sold this lie. And the lie that we're sold is if you want it bad enough and you try hard enough, you can do anything, which is so inspirational and so absurd and so not true. And we know this intuitively. I mean, the reason why I've never dunked a basketball have nothing to do with how badly I've wanted to dunk a basketball or how hard I've tried to dunk a basketball at different times. It has to do with the fact that I'm 5'8"-ish and I'm a white guy who can't jump. And it doesn't matter how hard I try or how much I want it, I'm never gonna dunk a basketball on a 10-foot rim. Still, that lie that if you want it bad enough and try hard enough, you can do anything. It has two parts, right? Like there's the you can do anything part, which is, you know, the part that we love. Like we just want, because it's just, the possibilities are endless. It's just not true. 
Like, I wish we could, like, I, I want to, like, write a new slogan. And, and it won't say you can do anything, but it's you can do something. And it doesn't really inspire anybody. But, like, I think it's much more, and it doesn't have the same ring to it. But it's like, you can do anything. No, you can't. But you can do something. Go get them, guys. You can do something. That doesn't, like, nobody's, like, going to run through a wall for that. But it's, that, that's actually the case. It's way more accurate. The other part of the lie is the part about trying. Because there are some things that you could do, but just trying hard at them isn't going to get you there. Because no matter how hard you try, you're not going to pick up an electric, electric guitar tomorrow and just start playing, you know, Sweet Child of Mine, you know, right out the gate or Stairway to Heaven or whatever your favorite guitar rock riff is. It's just not going to happen. You're just not. You could learn. You could train and eventually do that. But that's different. It's not about trying. Because trying and training are two completely different things. Trying is when you give your best effort in a given moment. It's like, oh, I tried real hard. No, it doesn't matter. You failed. But training is when you give focused, consistent effort over a long period of time. That's completely different. The problem for me is that's where things start to break down. Because, I mean, the whole consistent effort over time thing, how about some really intense effort for a few minutes once or twice a week? Because if that's what it takes, I'm your man. Like, I'm all in. I can go real hard for about four or five minutes, possibly, you know, every other Thursday between 10 and 10.15, if I'm feeling like it. And that's our dilemma, right, is that we want what's right. We want what's important. We want what's good. We just don't want to do the things that actually lead us towards the life that makes that a reality. See, in the end, consistency beats intensity every time which is really difficult for us because this time of year, we all get a lot of passion and intensity. That's it, I'm gonna change everything. I'm gonna get in shape and I'm gonna kick that habit and I'm gonna organize my finances and I'm gonna clean out the garage and, and we just get fired up and about three hours later, we're just like spent. We're just like, that's it, that's, it's done. I'm, I'm out, I'm not doing any of that. So the apostle Paul's like, yeah, I'm gonna just be straight with you, Timothy, the life that you were created for, it's going to take some training. It's going to take some discipline. There's no way around it. There's no way for you to become all that God, God called you to become without some training and some discipline. But the payoff is greater than you can possibly think or imagine. In fact, look at what he says in two verses later in 1 Timothy 4.10. And so in verse 8, he's going, physical training is good. Training and godliness, that's where it's at. Verse nine, he then goes in this big, long ramp up for what's he want, wanting to say to verse 10, which is why we just kind of skip verse nine because he's just like, this is really important. I'm about to say really something important and so you need to listen to this. And this is what he says in verse 10. That is why we labor and strive. This is the whole reason why any of this matters, why training and godliness matters. That is why we do this. That is why we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God who is the savior of all the world. And so he's going right at the outset. I don't want you to get confused. And the reason why he writes this is because when it comes to our habits and our disciplines and the things that we do, right, we very easily get confused when it comes to spiritual stuff because it starts to become about the thing and not about why we're doing the thing. And so it becomes very ritualistic and becomes very legalistic. And we start telling people, if you don't do this and this and this on this day, just like I do, then you don't really love God. 
And Paul's going, don't get this confused. Our hope isn't in ourselves. We're not training so as somehow to earn God's love. Our training isn't to work our way to heaven. We're not trying to prove to God that we're finally gonna get serious about our relationship with him. We're not trying to prove to him that we're holy or worthy of what he's done for us. No, he's going, our hope is only in Jesus. He's why any of this matters. This is why we actually train ourselves. This is why we actually put some effort and and consistency into actually building these habits. Why? Because our hope is in the living God, the only savior that any of us have. So the implication though is that if you dig below the surface, of the people's lives whose faith and life are deeper and richer and fuller, what you almost always find is a series of hidden habits that are strengthening that part of their life. So when it comes to our spiritual life, when it comes to our faith, the simple name, that this broad category for those things, for those habits, is just spiritual disciplines. They are the way that we train ourselves for and in godliness. Now, here's where I'm gonna get like super practical in just a second. And and so we're all on the same page. We're gonna just start really basic. A discipline, not just necessarily spiritual discipline, but a discipline is simply an activity that you can do by direct effort that will eventually enable you to accomplish what you cannot currently do by direct effort. Right? A discipline is something that I can go, this is the thing I can do because I can't do that over there. But if I do this enough times, eventually I'll be able to do that thing over there. That's all a discipline is. Simple enough. Now, spiritual disciplines are similar, only there's better news. There's an X factor and that X factor is God. Because when your training and my training meets with God's grace, that's when things began to really happen in our life. It begins to transform our life from the inside out. If you take away God's grace, you get no transformation. If you introduce God's grace, but you have no training, you you will get very little transformation. When your training meets God's grace, your life will begin to change. So starting today, the next three weeks of the series, we're gonna uncover some of what these disciplines are together. By no means are we gonna talk about what they all are. This is not a comprehensive list. It's not everything you could do. It's a few of the main ones that would be helpful to you if you want to, and it's meant to be a menu. If you wanna try to tackle all of them, you can. I don't suggest that because you will, your intensity will wane out and then you will not have consistency. So pick one, stick to it. Uh, Part of the reason why this is not a complete list of spiritual disciplines is because there's really not one of those that exists anywhere. Partly because what we mean by spiritual discipline is really that, that it's any activity that helps me gain the power to live my life as Jesus taught and modeled to live. Right, And so... There's all the things that we normally would think about, Bible and prayer and worship and you know, all the stuff, some of the stuff we're gonna talk about. But the truth is, is that anything that actually helps keep you connected to Jesus so that you can actually live out the life he created you to live, that's a spiritual discipline that you should repeat over and over and over again. So a lot of things can fit in that bucket. For our purposes, we're gonna keep it really simple. And to make it easier for ourselves, we've kind of divided it into three categories. We divide it inward, outward, corporate. Inward, outward, and corporate. Today, 
We're gonna start with inward disciplines because the condition of your heart, the condition of my heart, the condition of our hearts and minds, it drives everything else about our life. And that truth is evident all over the scriptures. In Luke chapter six, verse 45, Jesus says this. He says, your mouth will speak what your heart is full of, that what is inside of you will eventually come spilling out of you. In Romans chapter 12, verse two, it says that you are to be transformed. How? By your, by your mind being completely changed and renewed by God. In Proverbs chapter four, verse 23, it says, guard your heart for everything you do in your life flows from your heart. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 28, Jesus is talking to these religious people and he's like, your religion is broken because on the outside you look righteous. You started training and all this stuff and then you lost the plot and you kept doing all of that stuff but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness and you are farther from me than anything else. And so on and on and on and on and on it goes that our hearts and what's going on inside of us internally is driving everything about our life. In fact, our internal world is so important, it's so essential that Jesus prioritized it really above everything else. Like he famously went out into the desert to pray and to fast and pray for 40 days. There are tons of stories. If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the stories of Jesus' life, there's tons of times where he got up early and went off by himself to pray. There are times where he regularly pulled away from the crowds and from his own friends and disciples so he could walk alone in a field or he would go down by a lake and walk along the shore by by himself. He regularly is recorded of going up on a mountain to connect with God and to pray. Over and over and over again in his life, Jesus prioritized his own soul, his own relationship with his heavenly father. So much so that his friend Luke, the disciple Luke, summarized it this way in Luke chapter five, verse 16. He just says this one blanket statement, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. That it was his regular practice, his regular habit. He did it often where he would get alone and pray and study and reflect and fast. And you're like, well, I mean, did he really study? Well, he was a rabbi. So he knew the entire Old Testament by heart. So I don't think that happened without him studying. If Jesus needed to do that, there's a good chance you and I probably needed, need to do that too. So there are tons of books written about all the stuff we're going to talk about. We could spend an entire series on each one of these things, which we're not going to do. Um, but we're just going to talk about a few of them. This is a very simple, very basic overview. But the truth is, is you don't need to go read all those books. They would be helpful. Maybe you want to and you can, but you don't need to be a cardiologist to know that you need a cardio workout and to get on a treadmill and just start going and to get the benefit. By the way, if you're interested, I think one of the most helpful books that you can get is called Sacred Pathways. It's written by a guy named Gary Thomas, and the reason why it's helpful is because I grew up in a church where everybody connected to God in one specific way. You get up early, and you pray for three hours, and if you don't do that, then how can you say you love God? And in his book, he actually says, look, we're all wired differently. So for some people, that is just this incredibly connective spiritual moment for them to get up early and spend time like that praying. Some people, the most spiritual thing that experience they have is when they go out into nature 
For some of us, when we're actually serving and actually loving other people and doing something very physical in the way that we, like those are the most spiritual moments we have. And so we all have a different pathway, not different pathways to God, but a different way in which we're wired that we connect with him. So this is only meant to introduce you to the ideas and give you a simple place to start. We do have a little bit of ground to cover. I'm going to give you a lot to process and chew on in a very short period of time, but I think if you stick with me, we're going to bring it back to the end of why any of this matters, and I'm hoping it will be helpful to you. So the first thing uh, right out of the gate I just want to mention is prayer. Um, This is maybe the most obvious one. It is that the prayer is simply when you have an intentional and focused interaction or conversation with God or in the presence of God. Prayer is intended to be a two-way conversation where you both talk and listen. But it's not a transaction, it's a connection. Because some conversations happen without words, right? I mean, there's a lot that can happen. There's a lot that can be communicated when you're just sitting in someone else's presence. Have you ever found yourself taking on someone else's mentality and energy and attitudes just from kind of being around them for a little while? Of course you have, because we're open loop creatures. Like we constantly have input from everything around us, our environment, the people around us, and from God. So it doesn't always have to be words, but... It's hard to have a meaningful relationship with someone without having regular conversations with them. So when you do pray, when you do talk, what do you say? How do you tackle that? Well, here's a simple framework that I use all the time in my life. I did not come up with this. I read it in a book about six years ago by a lady named Anne Lamott, who's a fantastic writer. This was actually the name of the book. The name of the book was all about praying, and this was the name of the book, Help thanks, wow. This is the framework I use all the time in my life, every week. When I start sit down to spend a, a few minutes praying, I'm going to try to touch on each one of these things every time I pray. So, so this, the idea of help is, is bigger than just giving God the list of things that I want him to do, although that's part of it. But, but it, it's really me coming to terms with and spending a few minutes kind of thinking about and admitting to myself and to God that life is just too big for me, that there's parts of, that that I'm not the creator of the universe and I can't keep all the plates spinning, that I need God in everything. I I need him to give me an accurate picture of who I am. I need him to forgive my sins, to meet my needs, to direct and protect me, to empower me, to do what's right and to live wisely and to act health in a healthy way, to do what's good. And so I... I spend time regularly going, God, help. I need your help. I'm lost without you. And then there's the thanks part where it's just, God, I'm just gonna spend some time expressing gratitude for your grace and your goodness for life and breath and health and food and water and safety and friendship and family and forgiveness and purpose and fulfillment and all this stuff. I'm just gonna make sure that I just say thank you. Thank you. And for me, the most important of the three is the last one, is the wow. Because I need regular times where I need to be reminded of just how big God is. And if I don't slow down and stop and think about his greatness, I'll never ever recapture the awe 
that I should have as a creation of my creator. Awe for him in big things and small things, for his grace and power and creativity and compassion and justice and presence and strength and his sufficiency to meet my needs, but also for love and smiles and laughter and sunrises and snow, the snow melting, tears. See, you were designed to live in a regular, ongoing conversation with God. So, maybe, maybe you should try to pray. The second thing is studying. And just spending regular time in the scriptures to discover not just what they say, but what they mean. It's not doing a task on a checklist to check off. It's spending time on a regular basis listening for the voice of God as you read. Sitting down and going, God, before I even read this, I'm about to spend a few minutes opening the scriptures, opening your word. Would you speak to me from what I'm about to read? It's refusing to just skim past it. The goal isn't to understand the scriptures, to just understand the scriptures, but to apply them and live by them and have them begin to change you. And because everything, is in, everything that's in the scriptures is pointing to Jesus and what he did, like for me, I make him and his life and everything that came after it my focus when I read. I read all different parts of the scriptures, all of it's important, but it's not all equal. Because I want to internalize and emulate the way of Jesus, the way he thought and talked and lived, the way that he treated other people, the way that he related to his heavenly father. Like, it's just stands the reason that the more that I study that, the more likely it is that my life is going to reflect that. And you know this as well as I do. We are constantly being bombarded with information and thinking that drags us away from the Jesus life. And so it's healthy and helpful to actually have a time to build in a training, a discipline into your life where you counteract and counterbalance all of that stuff that's coming at you 24-7 through that little computer in your pocket and you actually begin to look into and sit with what God says and what he thinks. That's why we, did the, that's why we do the Read Every Day initiative every year. That's why we did it again this year. That, that's why our weekend services revolve around us opening God's word together. That, that's what a sermon is. It's not a speech. It's not a TED Talk. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with those things. They can be helpful but the scriptures are at the core of every single one of our Sunday messages. That, that's why we encourage people to take notes and take pictures of the screen. Why? So that you can take those things home and think about them and talk about them and share them and, and, and process them at a, deep, at a deeper level and, and begin to try to wrestle with them in your life. Of course we plan for this time and, and, and do our best to make this time to be nourishing for people and their souls. But my personal goal every week isn't to try to feed you. It's to try to make you hungry enough spiritually to go home and learn to eat on your own so that you open the scriptures and begin to feed your own soul. Because you can't build the kind of deep relationship with God that you were designed to have in a crowd of people for one hour a week on Sundays. It's a great place to start. It is. But it's not enough. 
make a regular habit of opening the word of God, opening the scriptures, and letting them speak to you. Third thing is meditation. Meditation is simply the act of slowing down and pulling away in order to focus on God. As I mentioned earlier, Jesus, this is one that he did all the time. And although he was away from people, he wasn't alone. This is not necessarily about, you know, solitude per se. We're going to talk a little bit about that next week. It's us connecting with God. Jesus focused on God. Now, there's a lot of stuff in our culture about meditation, um, and, uh, and so I do just want to give you one distinction here. So Eastern meditation, I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with it, but Eastern meditation is an attempt to empty your mind of everything. That is the goal. In Christianity, we look in the scriptures, that's not, that's not the goal for our meditation. The goal, in our, the goal in the scriptures for our meditation is for us to fill our minds with all the right things. So when we spend time kind of sitting and thinking, we're trying to deposit things into them, not empty ourselves of those thoughts. Philippians chapter four, verse eight says, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. There's all kinds of places in the scriptures where we're instructed to fix our eyes, to fix our gaze, to fix our thoughts on God. That's that's the idea of meditation. The noisier our world becomes, the more necessary it is. It's reflecting and thinking deeply about a passage of scripture that, that maybe you're just like, ah, oh, man, I really want to get this like, deeper and just more than just memorize. I want to get it into my life. It's thinking deeply and reflecting. Maybe there's something that God says about you that you're having trouble believing. Maybe there's an attribute about God that just really draws you to them and you spend some time really thinking about what that means for your life. So the question for med- in, in this area of meditation is, when do you set aside a regular time to dis- disconnect from everything, from all technology, from every source of distraction, from music and noise and voices and sounds and crowds? When do you have a time in your life to disconnect from all of it and simply sit with God and allow him to renew your mind and reorganize your thoughts. I have, I am like functional adult ADD. So this one is super hard for me because I'm just like, all right, God, I'm gonna focus on you. Is that popcorn I smell? You know what I'm talking about? And you're just like, what? okay, no, stop it, stop, okay. Whew. Focus, just focus. Did I, shoot, did I close the garage? It's just like, you know what I'm talking about, right? Your brain will betray you. And your phone's buzzing. I wonder if somebody saw my post. I wonder if somebody liked my gram. But you need regular time where you sit and allow God to speak to you. If and when you do, it will begin to change your life. The last thing I'm gonna mention is um, this idea of fasting. Fasting is the voluntary abstinence from food for a limited period of time for the purpose of drawing near to God. Now you're like, of course it is. We all know that. But the reason why I give that definition is because in the last few years, um, especially in our culture, the definition of fasting has been expanded enormously. 
And we fast from TV or we fast from social media or I'm fasting from Diet Coke or I'm fast. Those are not fast. And I think the reason why we've expanded the idea is because we don't want to fast from food, right? We're just like, yeah, I'd like to give up anything but eating. Um, but all through the scriptures, fasting was simply taking a break from food. And the whole point was elevating our spiritual needs over our physical needs. So let me tell you what fasting is not. It's not a diet plan. It's not a way to twist God's arm to get him to do something. I remember distinctly growing up in a church where people were just like, you know, there's a lady like, man, God, I need a husband. I'm gonna be fasting for 21 days at the end of that time. Then you better send him to the 11 o'clock service and sit in the second row with a red tie because I need a, you know, it's like, that's not how that works. It's not a, a flex to show people how spiritual you are. If you decide to fast a meal, don't let that be the one that you go out with friends. Just be like, sorry, guys. I don't know if you know how spiritual I am. But while y'all are eating and feeding your bodies, I'm nourishing my soul. You don't need to do that. It's not intended to punish your body or your flesh to make amends or atone for sin. Jesus already did that. He took all the punishment and all the pain for your brokenness and my brokenness for all of our sin. You don't have to do that. Fasting is simply a small chunk of time where you prioritize your soul's needs over your body's needs. And I'm telling you, I'm not very good at this. I haven't done it very much, but every time I have, something powerful happens to us and for us spiritually when we remind ourselves that we don't have to do everything that our bodies tell us to do exactly when they tell us to do it. It's not just by the way, not doing something. It's trading the time that you would have spent thinking about and planning and preparing and eating food. Which, by the way, if you stop and think about that, the amount of time we spend in our lives thinking about planning, preparing, and eating food is a humongous chunk of our day. Have you ever done this little number where you're eating lunch and you're just like, what are we gonna do for dinner? It's like, why are we already thinking about dinner? Like we're sitting here eating food. We spend an enormous amount of time in our lives doing that stuff. So what if we took a break and instead took a chunk of that time and energy and leaned into God through prayer and study and meditation? That's what fasting is. And in my experience, it always has a way of clearing out the clutter in my soul like nothing else that I do. It heightens our awareness of and our sensitivity to God and his voice and his presence. One of my... I ran across this idea, I don't know, a few years ago, but um, in Celtic Christianity, one of my favorite ideas is uh, for Celtic Christians, they have this idea um, uh, that, that, that they call a thin place. And, and what they mean by that is that we all have these experiences in our lives, we all have these moments where we become aware that the material and the spiritual aren't that far apart. Where we become aware that God is not somewhere else, that he's right here. The Old Testament, he says that he's closer than the air that you're breathing. And so it's true all the time, but we have these moments and these experiences where we become aware of it, that, that the divide between us and God, between you know, time and space and eternity is really, really thin. So they say that's a thin place. And what happens in my experience is when we begin to fast is we actually start to realize that the whole world is thin. The whole, every moment of our day is a thin 
place. I'm bad at it. But every time I've done it, saying no to myself on the inside always empowers me to say no to temptation or to let go of something or to get rid of something that I've been holding on to on the outside. So those are the four. Prayer, study, meditation, fasting. All simple to understand. None of them easy, which is why we train and we don't try. Building new habits is never easy, but it's always, always, always worth it. Now, before we like, finish up, I, there's one th- final thing that I want to say about all of this, and I'll probably come back to one of these, uh, an idea like this every single Sunday that remains in this month that we're talking about this stuff. None of the things we talked about today are unique to Christianity. They're just not. Lots of people pray, lots of people meditate, people from every background and faith and belief do those things. Lots and lots of people in religions all over the world study a sacred text. Lots of them meditate. Lots of, lots of people fast in other religions. In fact, most people who believe other stuff than what we believe do these things better than we do them. They're far more devout. So the question is, if this is not unique, if other people are doing all this stuff, what's the point? Why do them at all? And the answer is very, very simple. And the answer is Jesus. He's the one that makes the difference. See, the only reason any of the inward disciplines matter at all is to the extent that they help us deprioritize everything in our life, but connecting with and being directed by Jesus. See, this is the problem that Jesus had with the religious people in his day is because they were very devout. They read and studied more than anyone else. They fasted and prayed more than anyone else. But those things didn't ter- carry them closer to God. They actually were, became the, 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 the walls that got put up between them and God. Jesus himself actually said it this way in John chapter 15, Verses four and five, Jesus said, look, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those that remain in me and I in them, they will produce much fruit. And apart from me, you can't do anything. It doesn't matter how religious, how devout, how great you are, how much you train or try, how much you master these disciplines. If it doesn't connect you to me, it will lead to death. It's empty. You can't do anything. See, I have to tell you, and if you know me, you probably know this a little bit about me. I am definitely very spiritual. I I believe this stuff, but I'm also really, really pragmatic. Like, I don't want to do something just because it's, I'm told to do it. Maybe I'm just rebellious. I don't know. If I'm going to do these things, it, it can't just be something that I have to do because I was told to do it or because it's part of some routine or some ritual or some religious thing or some part of our, our faith or going to church or whatever. Like, I, it has to actually matter. And in my experience, because I grew up in church, so many of the things that religion tells us to do is just superstition, 
It's, or some sort of like spiritual OCD that if I do this thing or if I pray that or if I say it this number of times on this day, if I do this at this time, if I turn this direction and do that, then, then God will somehow be appeased that, that he'll, it'll get him off my back. But that's not what any of this is about, which is why I love what Jesus says right here. This, and he's talking about the vine and the branch. He's going, guys, this is about, this is not about religion. This is about life and where it's found. This is about how you, as the branch, stay connected to the vine as the source of life. And if these things don't do that, then they're empty. This is about what your life is producing because you're a branch and you're producing something. See, these disciplines are simply about cultivating the soil in your soul so that life takes root and grows there. They help us regularly realign and reattach our hearts and our minds because remember, everything we do flows from within us and reattach them to life, to the vine, to God. And it's when we do that that our words and our actions and who we become and what our life produces actually follows who Jesus was. After all, isn't, isn't that what you want for your life, for yourself and for the people that you love? To, to live with wisdom and peace and faith and generosity for you to be that person that's able to walk into a room and elevate the room and elevate the people in it? I mean, that's what I want. That's what I want for myself. That's what I want for the people I love. That's what I want for you. I, I know that's what I want for our church. I, I know that without a doubt that God wants to do more, that he wants to do bigger and greater things in your life and in our church this year than he did last year. But if we're going to widen our reach, we're going to have to deepen our roots. And that's, that's the same for you. We have to be willing to train in godliness so that we're prepared for where God wants to take us. And so my question for you this morning, if training is about rearranging or arranging your life around certain activities or certain disciplines, where do you need to do a little bit of rearranging? You can't tackle them all. You can't do all these. I mean, there's four more coming next week, and there's four more coming the week after that. You can't do all 12 of these things. What if you just picked one? What if you decided this week, and you just started doing some, some spiritual experiments, this week, I'm going to pray for five minutes every single day. You know what you're doing? You're going branch, meat, vine. That's what you're doing. How would your life begin to change when you were connected to the vine more, more often, more frequently, every single day? It would change enormously. So it doesn't matter which ones you pick. Pick one, stick to it. Just do it. Commit to a simple, obtainable, repeatable, spiritual rhythm. Pick one. Pick one or two. Do them this week. Then do the one what if you just go, okay, on Friday afternoons, I'm gonna, on Friday, I'm going to fast lunch. I'm going to spend that 15 or 20 minutes that I would be spend eating. I'm just going to sit 
I'm going to think. I'm going to allow God to speak to me. I'm going to talk to God. I'm going to open the scripture. What if you just did that one time? Don't worry about doing any of the stuff perfectly. Just begin. Yes, it's going to take time. Yes, it will be messy. No, you won't do it perfectly. Whatever that even means. I'm telling you, I've had more false starts, more starts and stops, more failing forward, more doing this stuff poorly, more ne- not doing it and feeling guilty and then starting again. Like I, I'm not telling you any of this stuff as an expert. I'm not. The only, the only truth I know is that the training I have put in with some of this stuff and the progress I've made, it has allowed me to stay more connected to Jesus. And so the only thing I can tell you is that when your training, when my training, when our focused, consistent effort over time meets with God's grace, you will be blown away at what God does in your life and what your life begins to produce. Let's pray.